With that said, I think that's everything. Guys, it's Pastor Appreciation Month. So the Bible says give honor where honor is due. Let's show our appreciation for our pastor as we welcome him up. Thank you. I was thinking you can't have 26 years of ministry unless you have the first year. Every ministry begins with a beginning. Every life, every family, every job. And so you're probably wondering what the big announcement is. Well, part of the big announcement is going to include a little bit of an overview of our ministry. In order to understand our future, we have to come to grips with what we've done in the past and what we're doing in the present. Because one of the, well, let me just be blunt. The announcement isn't, I'm leaving. That's not the announcement. Okay, well, well, thank you for that. But the chances are that one day I'm not going to be here. It, I'm reminded that Charles Haddon Spurgeon died before his 60th birthday. Jonathan Edwards died before his 60th birthday. And guess what? My 60th birthday has come and gone. <laughs> I pray that the Lord in his grace and his mercy is going to allow me to spend a few more years with you. And I pray that whatever our future holds, that we want to have the most effective ministry that we can have. So having said that, I'm going to be talking with you a little bit about a goal that I have. And the goal is to be debt-free as a church by 2023. This is 2018. Let's do the math. 2019, 2020, 21, 22, 23. The Lord in his grace and his mercy might allow me to remain with you. He may take me. Whatever happens, I want our church to be in the best position possible so that we can love each other, and so that we can serve this community. And now we're going to talk about it. I literally taught from this passage, Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, some four plus years. For those of you who were here four plus years ago and you go, wait, I don't remember you teaching it like this. Well, you're right. The, the passage remains the same. But the application is going to be a little bit different this week. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, our debt to love, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for our church. I pray for these men and women. I pray for their lives, for their families, and for their future. Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would awaken in our hearts a deep and profound desire to love you and to love each other. 
Lord, we pray that we could pay our debt and that the one debt that will remain unpaid, that Lord, you will give us your Holy Spirit to empower us to fulfill the obligation that we have to one another. And so, Lord, again, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 8, it says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. We're going to have to go back just a little bit in order to understand the context of that single statement. The letter to Rome was written by Paul about 57 or 58 AD from Corinth. It's been my experience that when a pastor's writing about something, he's usually teaching it to somebody else. I'm going to suggest to you that the events of, that take place in the book of Romans almost certainly were being taught to the people at Corinth. Now, this was during Paul's third missionary journey. A.M. Hunter has called Romans the most important letter that's ever been written. Paul sets out carefully the way of salvation and what it means to have life in Christ. After a quick introduction in chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, Paul writes about the human condition and man's deep, deep need to have a right relationship with God in chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 20. The way to be right with God is by faith in Jesus Christ. Chapter 3, verses 21, all the way to chapter 4, verse 25. Then Paul talks about the ongoing Christian life as a life where we're right with God and what that means to be right with God in chapter 5, all the way to chapter 8, verse 39. Paul speaks of peace and he speaks of joy and he speaks about the qualities of character that come with being right with God. He speaks about sin and death and he speaks about how death came into the world through Adam. And how a righteous life came through Jesus Christ the Lord. In chapter 5 verses 1 through 21. He speaks about the duty to reject sin. And to do what's right. As we live out our life in Jesus. And then life in the spirit. Life in the spirit means pardon. And power. In Romans 8, verses 1 through 11, hope transforms suffering. Chapter 8, verse 18 through 25. 
The Holy Spirit helps us pray in chapter 8, verses 25 through 30. And the God who gave his son will with his son give all things to us in Christ Jesus, including victory in every circumstance. That's Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. Then Paul gives a description of the purpose of God for the Jews and for the Gentiles in chapter 9, verses 11 through 36. He talks about in chapters 10 and 11, God's goals, God's purposes, and then Paul talks about our daily living in chapter 12, verse 1, all the way to the end of, of chapter 15, verse 13. Paul urges us to dedicate our whole life to God in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. That Christians are to live together as members of one body in chapter 12, verses uh, 3 through 8, and that the church, using their gifts, the gifts that God has given to one another in our relationship with one another and our circumstances with one another in chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. And then Paul describes the Christian's duty to his country in chapter 12 at the beginning of the chapter. And then Paul describes the duty of the Christian in chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. We discover that we owe a debt in verse 8. And then we learn how we're to pay that debt in verses 9 through 10. In the opening chapter of Romans, in chapter 1, verse 14, Paul makes a confession. Here's his, his confession. I'm a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and unwise. By Greeks and non-Greeks, Paul is speaking about those people who embraced the Greek language and the Greek culture and the Greek way of doing things. And then he talks about those who didn't speak the Greek language and embrace the Greek culture. When he speaks of the wise and the foolish, it's a reference to those people who are educated and to those who are uneducated. And so when he speaks of the wise, he's speaking about the wise of this world, of people who have grown up in the world and gone to schools in this world and who have adopted and embraced the ways of this world. And then he talks about the foolish. That basically means the uneducated. And so what was the debt that Paul owed? What was his obligation? The debt that he owed and the obligation that he had was he had a personal encounter with Jesus. He had come into a right relationship with Jesus. He had been persecuting Christians and he had been following them and hunting them down and torturing them and imprisoning them. And then he had this encounter with the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he wanted to tell the story about what Christ had done into his life. It, Paul's life was consumed 
with sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. His life was consumed with not just the idea, but the reality that Jesus had come into this world to save sinners. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he talks about how Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he identified himself as not the best person, but the worst person. Paul's first obligation was to Jesus for saving his soul. And his second obligation, at least in his mind, was to the rest of the world. Paul, Paul believed that he was tasked with bringing the whole gospel to the whole world. And that's why I came here. I came to Littleton, Colorado in 1992 from a place called Albuquerque, New Mexico. In Albuquerque, I was on staff at a church. In the 1980s, when my wife and my my three-month-old Jonathan Geraci and his brother Anthony and his brother Miguel. When we came to Albuquerque, New Mexico, we left everything in California to go to a place where we had never been, to go on a staff with a person that I grew up with, and our church became the fastest-growing church in America. And as our church grew, there was this ever-increasing weight on my shoulder and my heart to tell the world about Jesus, to communicate what Jesus meant to me and how he saved me and how his grace and his mercy was poured out in my life. And so when Paul talks about the debt that we owe in verse 8, he talks about why we owe the debt. Look what it says, owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Why is love for each other considered a debt? Paul's repeated testimony is that we owe a permanent debt to Jesus because of his sacrifice and his love. And the only way that we can ever begin to repay that debt is by caring about one another, about loving each other. Paul, along with the rest of the writers of the New Testament, invite us to consider what Jesus has done in our life, how he has saved us from our sin, how he's reconciled us to the Father, how he's promised us heaven. He invites us to consider what is it? What is it that you have? What is it that you have that Jesus didn't give you? Do you have life? He gave it to you. Do you have breath? He gave it to you. Jesus has given you everything and he hasn't withheld anything from you. In the book of Proverbs chapter 3 verse 27 we read, Do not withhold good for those to whom it is due when it's within your power to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I'm going to give it. When you have it with you, the Living Bible says this in a paraphrase of Proverbs 3.27. It says, don't withhold repayment of your debts. Don't say, we'll do this some other time. We'll just pay it back some other time if you can pay now. And so the way you repay any kind of a debt becomes a mark of your character. 
The way you pay what you owe is a reflection of who you are. And the writer of Proverbs urges the reader to do good, repay your loan, return the tool, fulfill the promise that we're supposed to be as eager to do good as we are to have good done to us. It was the missionary Hudson Taylor who said, small things are small things, but faithfulness with a small thing is a big thing. In 1992, my wife and I began to pray about where we would go and what we would do. And we thought, well, maybe we should go to Cleveland, Ohio. I had dinner with uh, Alistair Begg last week, and he is the pastor of Park Church in, 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 um, in Cleveland, Ohio. And I often thought, what would have life have been like if Mary and I had gone to Cleveland instead of here? And the reason why I thought I would go to Cleveland was I thought it would have to be of God because no one would go to Cleveland on their own. <laughs> no one would go there on purpose. And then we prayed and we thought about going to Houston, Texas. And we thought about going to Austin, Texas. And I loved, loved, loved Texas. I thought, what a wonderful place that that would be to go and plant a church. And as we were praying and thinking and considering, the Lord gave me a, a text. It was Joshua chapter 1-9. And it said, be a... Be, be of, of, of strong service because the Lord thy God is going to be with you wherever you go. And so I thought, if I go to Cleveland, he'll be with me. If I go to Austin, he'll be with me. If I go to Houston, he'll be with me. If I go here, he'll be with me. If I go there, he will be with me because I was thinking it was a place where I was supposed to go. But I discovered that it wasn't a place. That the promise, I will be with you wherever you go, it wasn't so much a place where I was going, but circumstances that we would face. Because when we were getting ready to leave and go plant a church, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. You see, I'd given myself a test. I didn't include my family. I'd given myself a test. I thought, look, if I had a million dollars and I could live off the interest, what would I do? And I said, I would plant a church. Well, what if I didn't have a dime in my pocket? Well, I would go plant a church. Well, what if I was diagnosed with a disease and I discovered I only had a year to live? What would I do? I would go plant a church. What if I discovered that the chances are I'm going to have a long and fruitful life? What am I going to do? I'm going to go start a church. I had this singular vision and this singular purpose, but I didn't include my wife in that vision. And as she was diagnosed with cancer, we had to make some hard decisions about whether we would just continue to go forward or if we would stay at Albuquerque where I could have health insurance and she could re re receive treatment. And we did stay. And she did receive treatment. And a year later, she was cancer-free. Praise the Lord, huh? there was a journey that we had to take because again when the Lord opened the doors for us to come here I had to get a job but getting a job was easy compared to cancer 
I started a Bible study, and that was easy because I loved teaching the Bible. But then I had to pray that people would actually show up. <laughs> and then they did show up. And then we had to find a place where we could meet as a church. But finding a place to meet was easy. Cancer's hard. Finding a place to meet is easy. Finding a job, finding a place, see, as we have to travel through these difficulties, all of those difficulties were there to prepare us for this ministry that God entrusted to us. And our little church grew. And as our little church grew, we started with my wife and my three kids. And then a few more people came. And then a few more people came. And then we had 35 people. And then we had 70 people. And then we had 140 people people and then we had 280 people and pretty soon as we were walking through this thing called life our little church began to grow and we went from one location to the next location and where would we find ourselves we would find ourselves just a few blocks from Columbine High School and in 1999 you know what happened the school shooting but we were now a part of the community. And we were gonna go forward in the community. And God opened doors as our church continued to grow and we needed a building. And so for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, as, as we began to pray as a staff and leaders and our board, we began to pray about where we could get a facility. And this was the facility that we found. And when we found this facility, we had already saved for eight years to put the down payment on this building. Eight years to put the down payment on the building. And as we put the down payment on the building, we built this out. And as you can see, it's become a part of our community. If you walk through the doors on the other side, you'll notice that this is a polling place, but it's more than just a polling place. This building has become a place where maybe for the last four years, almost every single law enforcement officer who's taken the oath of office has taken it in this building. We, this building is a place where men come for Bible study fellowship and for women and for homeschool groups. So people ha have used our building throughout the life of the building. But now what I wanted to do, and, and, and I'm so thrilled to be a part of this, this church, but again, in order for us to go forward into the future, we're going to have to think about our debt. And I didn't enter into the debt lightly or alone. I've gotten a little handout for you. It's called Debt Free by 23. On this little pamphlet, if you didn't get it, there's one at the Connection Center. It talks about what our loan amount started off at at 1.9 million, our current balance of 1.5 million, our monthly payment at $12,000. Now, that might seem like a whole lot of money to you, but if, you, if we were to purchase this building in the current circumstances, it would cost us about $5 million to be in the building where we are. But fortunately, being an Italian person, I'm in the business of buying low. 
and selling high. And so when we think about our debt of 1.5 million, that's one way of thinking about it, that we're $1.5 million in debt. Another way of thinking about it is that we have over $3 million worth of equity in a building that we own. My job and my desire is that in the next five years, that our church is going to be debt-free. You see, when the Bible says, don't owe anyone anything, I actually believe that. I really don't want to owe anyone anything except to love them and except to care for them. And in order for us to do that, we're going to need to pay down the debt. And we believe that with prayer and diligence, we can accomplish that goal in five years when our note becomes due. So this isn't one of those announcements where unless we pay this debt, we're going to have to close our doors and we're never going to be able to meet again. No, our doors are open and we're going to continue to meet. No, this isn't a situation where, well, you're going to have to quit or you're going to have to stop doing ministry. No, that's not what's at, at taking place here either. I just want to imagine a world where I'm not with you. And, I, and for some of you, maybe I'm kidding myself, that that might be hard. It might be hard for you to imagine Calvary South Denver without me. But make no mistake about it, as we walk into the future, don't let my youthful appearance fool you. <laughs> as we walk into the future, if we have a future, next year I'm going to be a little bit older. And the year after that, I'm going to be a little bit older. And in five years, I'm going to be downright mature. <laughs> you see, for me, the issue isn't to imagine a world or a church where you don't have me. It's for me to imagine a world where I don't have you. What in the world am I going to do without you? So in the next five years, as we pray and as we consider and as we think about how to reach those goals, I want to encourage you to pick up that piece of paper. Um, you don't have this, but our principal and interest payment is about $12,000 a month. If we had an additional principal payment of about $19,000 a month, at the end of those five years, we have a zero balance on our loan. Now, it would be wonderful. It would be wonderful if we wake up next month or next year and it's now it's down to zero. But that's part of what I want to be able to do with you. Over the next three months or the four months, I want to be able to report back to you and say, hey, guess what? Our mortgage was this amount, but now it's this amount, and now it's this amount, and now it's this amount, and now it's this amount. And one day, I'm hoping it's going to be zero, and because we can't start fires in the sanctuary, we're going to have a mortgage-burning party, probably in that parking lot where we invite everyone to come. And what happens when we are debt-free? 
Well, then guess what? Our only obligation is to fulfill the mission of the church. And what is the mission of the church? We're to love the Lord our God in Revelation 2.4. We're to glorify God in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5. We're to put God's display of grace on record for the world to watch in Ephesians 2.3. We want to evangelize the world and baptize believers and instruct them according to Matthew 28.19. And so when you see on our building where it says worship and discipleship and evangelism, that's the goal. You've probably heard Colonel Sanders in their statement. They say, we do chicken and we do chicken right well, they have corn on the cob and they have coleslaw and they have mashed potatoes. Their identity is wrapped up in chicken. And our identity is wrapped up in Christ. We want Jesus to be glorified and magnified. We want to worship the Lord and we want to disciple the saints and we want to reach the lost and we want to promote community. We exist to edify the believer and discipline the believer and care for the saints in times of need. We exist to provoke Israel to jealousy according to Romans 11, to prepare rulers for the millennial kingdom in Romans chapter 8. We we exist to restrain wickedness and to promote goodness in Galatians 6.10. And this is why we always speak about worship and discipleship and evangelism and community as the core activities that we participate in a, in a church. But the time, the time has come. The time has come to reduce our debt and then eliminate our debt because my, my plan isn't to disappear into the night. My plan isn't to say, hey, look, guess what? I've put in my 30 years and now I'm, 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 I'm leaving. That's not what Mary and, and my goal is. We love you and we love being here and we're privileged to serve in, in the ministry that God has provided for us. And if you'll have us, we'd like to stay a little bit longer. But even when it comes time to say goodbye, we're not saying goodbye to the church. We're, we, this is our church, just like it's your church. We want to go to church here. We want to worship with you and we want to study with you and, and we want to bring our friends to Christ with you. In Proverbs 22, 7, it says, the borrower is servant to the lender. Benjamin Franklin said, he that goes a borrowing goes a sorrowing. And so what was Paul's ministry goals? In 2 Corinthians 5, 9, he said, so we make it our goal. To please him. In Philippians 3.14 he says, I press onward to the goal of the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. And so my desire in Jesus is to please Jesus. And I think it's going to be helpful. I think it's going to be helpful for us as a church. I think it's going to be helpful for you to be able to say, we don't owe anyone anything. You know, for the first three years of our church, I didn't take a salary at all. So you know what I did? I worked. 
You know where I worked? I worked for the Department of Social... No, I didn't work for the Department of Social Services. I worked... I actually applied to the Department of Social Services and they wouldn't hire me. See, you laugh. I had no idea. I was qualified. Why wouldn't they hire me? And then I got a job with the Center for Legal Studies doing research and writing and teaching research and writing for the Center for Legal Studies for the University of Colorado. And then I got a job as a pastor of a church on Lookout Mountain. And while I was the pastor of the church on Lookout Mountain, I started a Bible study down here. And I told them, hey, look, I'm happy to be your pastor. But guess what? God's called me to be here. God's called me to minister to this community. God's called me to pray for and minister to this community. And so in 1992, October of 1992, we had our very first church service. And now it's October of 2018. Because 92 became 95, and then 99, and then 05, and then 10, and then 15, and then 18. And guess what? 2023 is coming. And what I would like to do, my goal, my goal is not only to eliminate our debt, but it's to eliminate me. What do you mean by that? I mean to reduce my salary so that I don't have a salary, so that when we burn the mortgage, we also say, hey, guess what? Our pastor doesn't take a salary because he doesn't have to. Well, does that mean I stop loving you and stop serving you and stop going here? No. I just go here and I participate in a different way. So how do we pay our debt? Henry Wadsworth Longfellow said, if you would hit the mark, you have to aim a little bit above it. Every arrow that flies feels the attraction of the earth. There's something about when the arrow flies that it just goes a little bit lower. So we have to aim just a little bit higher. A good archer isn't known by his arrows, but by his aim. When I taught this passage the last time, I wished I had told you what I'm telling you now. I wished I would have said, hey, you know what? In 2014, we should pay down our debt so that you and I don't have to have this conversation. How do we pay the debt? Look what it says in verses 9 and 10. It says, for for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet I think this means other people's churches. But the Bible does say, covet earnestly the best gifts. And if there's any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul isn't making a case for self-love. Self-interest isn't what he has in mind. Self-interest is a given. Most people really will find shelter and food. They'll find a way to clothe themselves. We make every effort to avoid being cheated or injured. So what does this mean? What does it mean to love your neighbor? It must mean to act 
actively seek what is in your neighbor's best interest. And so it is in our neighbor's best interest not to destroy their family or to destroy them or to steal what belongs to them or say wrong things about them or desire what they have instead of what you have. If for whatever reason... I stopped taking a salary beginning today. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord will make a provision for me and my family. So my job, my job isn't to have more so that you can have less. My job is to have less so that you can have more. And the more you have, the more you're going to be able to fulfill the goals and the plans and the purposes that God has for you. What was Paul's driving interest? Paul's driving interest were that people should be saved from their sin so that they would believe and trust Jesus as their savior. Well, what about justice? What about alleviating suffering? Both justice and suffering are important and even the unbeliever is willing to concede that justice and the alleviation of suffering is important. But the unbeliever has no stake on whether or not a person has a right relationship with God and Christ. The Christian is called to imitate the love of Jesus. And the love of Jesus is manifested in the sacrifice that Jesus makes. Jesus is willing to have less so that we can have more. And that's the imitation of Christ. Jesus gives generously so that we can give generously. Paul knew at the very core, at the very core of generosity was a deep and abiding trust in Jesus. Paul rejoiced when he discovered that the church at Philippi had taken an interest in him and his needs. In Philippians chapter 4 verse 10, Paul writes, to them says how grateful I am and how I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again I know you've always been concerned about me but for a while you didn't have the chance to help me and in Philippians chapter 4 verses 11 through 14 he says not that I was ever in need for I have learned how to get along happily whether I have much or little little I know how to live on almost nothing and with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's a full stomach or it's an empty stomach, whether it's plenty or whether it's little. I'm not saying we grew up poor, but we were poor. My mother had five children. We all slept in one room. I used to stay out late at night just so I could sleep on the top of the bed. We were so poor that we ate ketchup sandwiches. And you might think, I like ketchup sandwiches. <laughs> Without the bread? <laughs> you know what? Some of you are absolutely no strangers of what it means to have so very, very little. And isn't it funny how the secret of having little or having much is what Paul writes when he says, for I can do everything with the help of Jesus who gives me the strength I need. But even so, 
Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. In the Bible, we discover that God's the true possessor of our time and our talent and our treasure. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The Lord is the creator. He is the owner of all things. The Bible says the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The Lord is the true owner and all we are are stewards and managers and we're accountable to the true Lord. The, the Bible says honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim with wine. Give generously, it says in the Bible in Deuteronomy 15. Give generously to the needy. Do so uh, without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord will bless you in your work and everything that you do, that you place your hand to do. Why give? Freedom, worship, trust, discipleship, privilege, Love. Last week I heard Alistair beg and he goes, I want to share eight different things with you. And they're going, wait, if it's eight and it's five times eight, we're never going to get out of here. But it's not going to be like that. Freedom. We want to be free from greed and covetousness. We want to control money and we don't want it to control us. Whoever loves money, the Bible says, never has money enough. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income, Ecclesiastes 5.10. So what good is it if a, if a person gains the whole world and he loses his soul? What will a person give in exchange for his soul? So what does it mean? Freedom from greed and covetousness. Freedom. For what purpose? Opportunity. And then worship. The act of giving becomes an act of worship, but not always. If you give because of guilt or because of manipulation or because of reluctance or because of duty or because of obligation, it's no longer worship. And so if you give because you think you have to, then it's ruined. It's better if you don't give. However, generosity becomes the mark of the person who's grateful for all that God has done in their life. Giving becomes an act of worship the moment, the moment you truly acknowledge and you really believe this was never mine to begin with. The issue doesn't become how much of my money should I give to the Lord. The issue becomes how much of God's money do I feel comfortable keeping. The writer of the Hebrews said, don't forget to do good. Don't forget to share with others. For such is the sacrifice that God is pleased with. And then trust. It's not a sin to save. And it's not a sin to prepare for the future. But it is a sin to trust your money rather than the Lord. The Bible teaches some things about it. Don't hoard it, it says in James 5. Don't rely on it, Psalm 62.10. Don't steal it, Titus 2.9. Don't think it can buy God's blessing, Acts 8.9. Don't love it, don't serve it. 
Don't think it can save you. Don't think that, that what it promises you, it will be able to deliver. Money promises security and power and privilege and social standing and success and love and attention and peace of mind and freedom from consequences. But all of that is a fantasy because the Bible makes it clear that if you place your trust and confidence anything other than the Lord Jesus, you're going to be disappointed. Wealth, it says in Proverbs 11:14, is worthless in the day of wrath. But righteousness delivers us from death. The Bible says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And you might think, well, that's fairly hypocritical of you, Gino, because you've invited us to give so that you can have more. And my response is, no, I invite you to give so that you can have more. I want you to have more. I want there to be something in, the, in your future that is overwhelming and that is satisfying. I want you to have more trust. I want you to be more eager to serve. And some of you can serve in ways that don't manifest themselves financially. Some of you have been blessed with a lot and some of you have been blessed with very little. But whatever it is that you've been blessed with, it can manifest itself quite frankly in what you do with the gifts and the callings that God has placed in your life. And then there's discipleship. We're disciples. But some of us aren't disciples. Following Jesus sometimes requires sacrifice in order to have heavenly gain. Randy Alcorn said, quote, The more holdings we have on earth, the more likely we're to forget that we're citizens of another world. And our inheritance doesn't lie here. In the last 26 years, I'm trying to think of the amount of times that I've gone to the hospital and I've gone to the assisted living center and I've found everything that that person possesses in the drawer next to the nightstand where in the bed that they're sleeping in. It really is true. You're not going to take it with you. Jesus said, give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And then there's privilege. There are two kinds of people in the world. I know what you think I'm going to say, Italian people and those who wish they were. But there really are two kinds of people in the world. Those who are blessed with much and those who are blessed with little. And so again, the issue of this passage isn't for you to feel bad about what you can't give. It's to feel excited about what you can give and the participation that you can participate in, whether it's with your time or your talent or your treasure. The missionary Amy Carmichael said, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Over the years, my wife and I and my children have diligently sought to make a provision for you. 
And we trust that a provision is going to continue into the future. God gives of his great love. And this we know, it says in 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possession and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us love not with words or tongue, but in action and in truth. Sir Winston Churchill wasn't a theologian by any stretch of the imagination, but he was a remarkable man. He said, we make a living by what we get and we make a life by what we give. Someone once said that Jesus never gave anyone money. And that's, exact, that's not exactly true. Jesus invited Peter to cast his line in to the water so that Peter could pay the tax both for Peter and for himself. We know that Jesus was an observant Jew, which means that each year he gave the temple tax so what did Jesus do with the rich, the poor, the blind, the lame, the desperate, the hungry? He very rarely gave them money. He even very rarely gave them food. He did give something else, everything. He gave himself. So you might think, well, what can I do? I mean, here's what I have. I have a loaf of bread and two fish. Well, guess what? A loaf of bread and two fish, when they're placed in Jesus' hands, multiplies, exceeding, abundant above all that we ask or think. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, feel for others in your pocket. <laughs> so in the next five years, I want to make a concentrated effort to reduce and eliminate the debt. My plan is to remain with you on that journey. And that's the hope. What I do and how I do it might change next year. A year ago, I had my knee replaced. Some of you know that during the course of the knee replacement, I had an allergic reaction to medication and my intestinal wall collapsed and I, it, my abdominal cavity filled with blood. And the doctor came in and said, do you have any religious reasons why you can't have a blood transfusion? And I said, I have no religious reasons for having a, not having a blood transfusion, but I'd really rather not. And the doctor said, okay, well, if you don't have a blood transfusion, then you're going to die. And I said, okay, I'll have the transfusion. <laughs> but you know what's fun? If I had died, the building would be paid off. That's right. Your board, for reasons unbeknownst to me, took out a little death thing on me and said, look, if he dies, 
then we get the building paid off. Would you be upset if I said I'd rather really pay the building off and stay alive? <laughs> Years ago, I purposed in my heart never to obligate anyone without including them in the process. Even though Jonathan said, wives, sign up your husbands, bad idea. Never obligate people without including them in the process. Success and succession in our future is going to depend on transparency and honesty and full disclosure and involvement and commitment and conservation. So here's what I'd really, really like to do. I'd like to be able to share with you what that might look like. It's not fair to obligate you without including you in the process. And so what I want to be able to do is just tell you exactly what I'd like to do so that we could be free to continue to minister in this community. I wasn't kidding when I said, guess what? In order to have 26 years of ministry or 27 years of ministry, it has to begin with the first year and then continue with the second year and then the third year. But what I'm hoping and praying and hoping and praying is that because we don't owe anyone anything, we are free to fulfill the greatest obligation that we have. And that's to love each other and to love this community with the resources that we do have. So if you want to know more, there's a little pamphlet that, that is at, at the, uh, at the uh, information counter at the Connect Center. We are going to have another meeting next week. I'm going to tell you a little bit more. And then we're going to have an information meeting on a Wednesday night so that you will have an opportunity to literally ask whatever question you want. Well, Gino, what about this? And what about that? And what about this? And what about that? It's been my experience. The, the more you know, the better off we're going to be. What do you think? So debt-free, 2023. It begins right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that, Lord, we could find a way to trust you and to believe you. Lord, I so much want to honor you and to please you. And, Lord, it seems to me that the most honorable and pleasing thing to do is to make every effort to keep the bond of peace. It seems, it makes perfect sense to me that, Lord, we should make every effort that the resources that we have, that we make them available to fulfill the plans and the purposes that you have for our little church. And, Lord, whatever future you have for us, Lord, we pray that with confidence, and grace, you would give us the privilege 
of being a presence in the community and a voice in the wilderness and a light in the darkness. In Jesus' name. And all the saints said, thank you.